Yeah, this coming week is Thanksgiving, and um, you know it's it's an interesting time. It, it uh, apparently I was reading an article this week. Apparently, it's the only time where anybody actually eats cranberries anymore. I mean, raise your hand if you eat cranberries at any point other than Thanksgiving week. This is out. Okay, you're you're one of the few um, because by and large the it's pretty low. Um, but it's not just about cranberries, believe it or not. Um, Thanksgiving, we express a time of gratitude, this theme of gratitude. We've seen it throughout our service already. Uh, and so with that being on our minds, potentially, I wanted us to pick out a, uh, to look at a text today uh, from Luke chapter 17. And so if you would, take a look at your pew Bible. Uh, this is page 876 there. We're going to look at Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. Hear the word of the Lord. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And they went, or I'm sorry, and as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we do give you thanks for your word, and we ask now that, that you would use it. You would use it, Father, to dissect our hearts to help us to see ourselves more clearly, and, and Father, to see you more clearly, so that we might understand, but more than that, Father, so that we might love and serve you. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. The title of today's sermon is the question that Jesus just asked, where are the nine? It's the question that Jesus asked after he heals ten lepers, but only one of the ten returns back to, to express gratitude. And, and like most of the questions that Jesus asks, this question isn't necessarily for him to acquire information that he doesn't already know. Jesus is not perplexed as to their whereabouts. The question is for his audience, an audience that actually includes us, even here today, opening up his word. I want to begin today by, by talking about what sermon, what kind of sermon I hope this isn't. This is what I hope you don't hear from me today. Well, these nine guys got it wrong, and they weren't thankful, and so we don't need to be like them, so be thankful. Dadgummit. Um, that's not what I'm trying to convey. Um, nor do I think that's really what Jesus is after. Um, Jesus is not interested in shaming us into thankfulness. Certainly, we can look at this. We can see that, that the other nine didn't respond as he wished they would have 
Thus the question. And therefore, these nine are serving as, 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 as sort of a cautionary tale for us. Now, as to the actual answer to the question, where did the nine go? Well, they went to the priests, and then they went home. They went to the priest because, as we read earlier, and props, by the way, to Philip Heimbuch for reading Leviticus the first time he comes up here to assist in worship. Leviticus is tough. Um, he did a great job with that. But, but we saw in Leviticus, as we read earlier, if you had a skin disease, you went to the priests, they would check you out, and after you were given a clean bill of health, after a period of time, you would then be able to enter back into the community. You would be able to go home. It makes sense. That's what the other nine would do. They saw the priest, and they went home. But what I want us to do today is to explore Jesus' question a little further, because where they went tells us a great deal about, about their priorities, about what they really value in life, what they're really after. It also has the potential to expose some things about us as well. So by going to the priests and returning home, which again, completely makes sense, completely understandable, what are the other nine after? What's, what, what's their telos? What's their goal? What, what, what is exposed here about them? What are they pursuing in life? Well, they're pursuing a good life. That's actually going to be our first point for today. The good life. They want a good life. Over the last 10 or so years, um, there's been a cultural phenomena that, that has taken place that, that I don't know if I completely understand it, but I'm part of it. Um, and some of you may be as well. And it really wasn't something I, I made a decision to embrace. I just kind of I was sort of exposed to it, and then it, 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 it drew me in. The phenomenon I'm talking about, of course, is, is home renovation television. Do we know home... Are we familiar with home renovation television? My wife and I have um, the, the smallest package DirecTV will allow you to get. Um, but they give us HGTV, and along with a lot of religious broadcasting and cartoons. Um, but, but that's okay, because home renovation television just lures me in. Um, Fixer Upper, Property Brothers, Flipper Flop Atlanta, whatever. Um, they, they just... It's mesmerizing to me. Now, just to be clear, I'm not someone who you might refer to as handy. Um, I could hang a picture on the wall if called upon to do so. But the thought of, like, renovating my bathroom tile and and all that kind of stuff, I mean, it's it's, the thought of that is laughable. Um, And yet, I, I love these shows. And I'm not alone. Millions and millions of people watch these shows. And there's all sorts of reasons why, I think, in our cultural moment, these shows connect with people. But I can't help but think that one of the major reasons this has such a, an appeal is because of the notion of self-improvement. Self-improvement resonates with us, whether we're talking about our bodies or our family situations or our wardrobes or our experiences or our homes. <clears throat> Excuse me. We look at our lives in their present state, 
and, and we, we want to improve them. We want a life where, where every aspect of that life can be something that, that, that we're proud of, that we could post, maybe on social media, that we can show off. We want to give other people the impression that, that we have great taste, that, that we are in the know on what's new and exciting in terms of innovation and style, that, that we even have the resources available to us that our life is going so well, we could actually afford to live this way. And so, HGTV gives us the, the opportunity to, to sort of voyeur, voyeuristically look in to people, real people, not the rich and famous, real people like us, like me, like you, who have financial situations similar to ours, homes that are similar to ours, and have an expert come into our dated, drab, boring, dysfunctional dwellings, and over the course of a relatively small amount of time, I mean, 60 minutes for the, for the audience, <laughs> do all the work to remodel, refashion, remake our present circumstances, to give us a, a, a home where everything is clean, beautiful, and new. That generates an audience. That sells. Why? Because, let's be honest, all of us have this longing inside of us to inhabit a universe where life is perfect, where things are clean and beautiful and new. And we long for that kind of perfection, not simply in our physical surroundings. We long for that kind of perfection in everyday life. We long for a life full of enjoyment and personal fulfillment. We long for, for our lives, for our schedules to, to run smoothly. We long for life to work. And the problem is life doesn't work. We long to have harmonious relationships where, where, with the people that we desire to have relationships with. We long for kids who are well-behaved. They won't embarrass us, and they're going to grow up and, and, and become successful. We long for a world where people don't get sick, where there isn't marital strife where people don't lose their jobs, where people don't struggle with addiction, where people don't get cancer. We long for that world because that world's better. It's better than the one that we presently inhabit. Or, or to put it another way, that's the way the world was designed to be but isn't. Turning to our passage for today, the ten men we see here, what do they want? They want a world where they don't have leprosy. And can you blame them? Because a life without leprosy is preferable to a life with it. I mean, did you hear the Old Testament? This is how they had to live in the Old Testament. According to the Old Testament law, this is the life of a leper. Completely ostracized from community required to wear tattered clothing and appear disheveled, and constantly reminding every person you came into contact with that you were unclean. That's your life. That's not just about the disease you have. That's what you are. You are unclean. That's who you've become. It sounds like a pretty miserable life. It sounds like a life I'd love to get out of. Now, it's important to, to make sure we get this right because God is the one who put these regulations into place and these regulations existed for the protection of the community. The community needed to know who was experiencing this ailment so that it wouldn't spread 
to everyone else so that it could be contained. It also had a theological or a religious component as well because as we talked about earlier, God is holy. And you don't just worship God in the midst of your defilement. God is perfect. It doesn't work that way. But for the person who's experiencing the, the repercussions of this ailment, it must have felt like adding insult to injury. Not only do I have this horrible disease, but I have to suffer in isolation or in an environment surrounded by other people with the same disease. And so we find the ten men in our passage all suffering from leprosy, but they hear about this man, Jesus, who supposedly can heal them. And being accustomed, I mean, they're, they're quite accustomed to making a spectacle of themselves, constantly announcing to everyone that they're unclean. They see Jesus, and they attempt to get his attention. These men are literally jumping at the chance for a better life. And Jesus hears their cries for help, and he engages them. Jesus tells them to go to the priest. Now, I want to make certain we get this right on what's happening here. Take a look at the text. Jesus has not healed these men yet. These men are going to the priest defiled. They're going to the priest as if they had already... That was the Old Testament command. Go to the priest once you're well. Okay? These men are going defiled, as if they have been healed. And incidentally, what a beautiful illustration of the gospel. That we don't come to God already cleaned up. We come to him as a mess. But they're going to the priests. And in doing so, they're exercising faith. They're trusting that this man, Jesus, is he told us to do something, and now we're going to go do it. And we got enough trust in him at that point to at least do what he said. At least engage with the priests. Make the effort. Walk that walk to the priests. And then a remarkable thing happens. As they're going, as they're exercising faith and moving towards these priests, they begin to look at each other. And they look at themselves. And and they're being healed. Christ is healing them from a distance. Now, if you're one of those people who longs for, like we talked about before, longs for that, that world where, where things are, are right, I'm not talking about home renovation here, okay? You want to renovate your home, renovate your home. That's great. Um, I know a guy. Um, but I'm talking about if you see a world or you're experiencing a world full of pain, full of suffering, full of injustice, full of poverty, full of hostility, full of abuse, full of a life that feels absolutely chaotic, and you long for God to intervene, to heal it, to fix it. What we see in this passage is Jesus having compassion on those people who are suffering. Jesus sees what's going on, and he actually cares. But not only does he care, he's able and he's willing to intervene. He's able and willing to answer their prayers, to provide for their needs, to accomplish the miraculous, and to work even in the ugliest of situations. And here's the thing, that's not just for the lepers in our passage, that's for us, his people, even today, who arrive here with with all sorts of hurt 
All sorts of questions, all sorts of concerns. You bring that stuff in this room. You can't not. What we see from our text is that Jesus really does care. God's Word tells us that He knows, that He sees, that He's not indifferent. And that God isn't simply even at work when we ask Him to be, but God's at work all the time. He's all the time actively working. His common grace is constantly at work protecting, providing for this creation. So that, even even despite the fact that, is the world messed up? Yes. Is there suffering and there's plenty of things wrong with it. Yes, please don't hear me trivializing that at all. But even in this broken world, there's beauty. There's goodness. Our blessings are there. We are recipients of God's blessings. And here's the thing. That's, those recipients of God's blessings, that's not just Christians who are recipients of God's blessing. God doesn't simply provide good gifts for those who have placed their trust in Jesus. God isn't simply kind and gracious towards Christians. He's kind and gracious towards all the people, all people that he's made, whether they're exercising saving faith or not. God provides for all people. Even for people who are passionately against him. Or, or callously indifferent to him. And so while, and while God does, he does this in supernatural ways, he does intervene in ways we don't even understand or know about, a vast majority of what God does is through natural means, through people with particular expertise, through, through people who can use their knowledge and gifts towards alleviating suffering to make the world a better place. Here's the bottom line. God is interested, even now, even in the midst of the brokenness of this world, in making this world a better place. And if you're a Christian, you have some awareness of what God's up to here, you can be part of that. We talked about this last week at the men's retreat. You get to be part of that in working and preserving and protecting creations. You get to be an instrument through which the world is a better place than it would be otherwise. One of the topics that that we as the church have to get our mind around, and it's been a a tough one for a while, especially kind of in our little world, um, is how do we think about ministry in terms of word versus deed? For far too long, the church has kind of divided up the human being into body and soul. And, and, and we sort of thought, you know, the job of the church is to minister to souls, to tell them about Jesus so that they can believe in him. But in the meantime, you know, as far as kind of like your, 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 your physical, your emotional, your financial, your relational needs, that's, that's not really our job. Our job is your soul. That's not what we see from Jesus here. Jesus looks at these people and he expresses compassion on them. And, and when we sort of erred on that side of, we just care about your soul, what we're essentially communicating is that this world is inconsequential. It doesn't matter. That's not what we see in our text. It's not what we see throughout the whole of Scripture. What we see throughout the whole of Scripture is God caring about the here and the now. He cares about the entirety of the human person. He is not indifferent to the world that he has made, to the suffering that takes place within it because of sin. And so God provides good gifts for the inhabitants of this planet, even in the midst of our sin, and invites us to join in on what he's doing. All this to say, These men are longing for a better life. 
And Jesus, in his grace, gives it to them. But it raises a question. It's an important question. To what end? For what purpose does God give good gifts to you, to me? Why does he do it? Is it just so that we can have a better life? Is that that the ultimate goal? Is that the telos? Is that what God's trying to accomplish? Because if it's just so that we can have a better life, if it's just so that he can provide for our immediate needs or enhance the quality of our life or extend it a couple more years, here's the problem with that being God's ultimate objective. I know this has the potential to be morbid, but stay with me. The problem is this life that we're living right now will eventually end. Jesus is going to heal these lepers. And these lepers will have an infinitely better quality of life than they would have otherwise because they were met and shown mercy by Jesus. And that matters. Don't hear me saying otherwise. But the reality is, whether they live 10 more years or 25 more years or 50 more years, like all of us, their life will eventually end. And so, living a better life, while that that matters, that can't be the ultimate point. And the question that Jesus asks, where are the nine, points us to the fact that God is interested in something more than us simply having a good life, a better life, as an end unto itself. Again, he cares about our life. Don't hear me saying that. He doesn't. But he's interested in something more than that. And so what is God after? What is God's purpose in giving us good gifts, in giving good gifts to his creation? It's been said that the enemy of the great is the good. The enemy of the great is the good. In other words, being content with something good has the potential to lead us to miss out on something even Better. And that principle very much could apply here. It's going to bring us to our second point of the day. Because as much as we, as much as these guys, they long for a good life, what we truly need is a great Savior. That's our second point, a great Savior. A good life and a great Savior. See, the good life, or the, sorry, the good gifts that, that God gives are given so that we experience these good gifts, and we would be drawn to the one who gave them to us. Now, to be clear, this, that's, that's not, I, I, I get how that could sound. It could sound like God is essentially like bribing us, right? I'm going to give you stuff, and your attendance on Sunday morning hopefully will increase as I dish out the good stuff, right? Um, we we, we He's bribing us into obedience. Uh, I guess I need to go punch the clock a couple of times a month. I guess I need to be a better human being as a result of God taking care of me. That's not what God's after. God is not bribing us with his gifts. But he is wooing us with them. As he lavishes good gifts upon his creation, what he's communicating is, I love you. I made you. And the thought is we would, we would see the world that God has made. We would see these good gifts that he gives us for our enjoyment and give him honor and praise and love and devotion to the one 
who gave them to us. But that's not what happened. If you go read Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, before he gets into all the stuff about Christ and grace and the gospel through Jesus Christ, he describes the human situation in light of our sin. It's a rough chapter. Chapter 1 paints a very sobering picture of human depravity. But before, I mean, he lists off this this litany of sins, all of these sins. But before he even goes there, verse 21, Paul says this, Although they knew God, they, and by they they're talking about universal humanity, they did not honor him or give thanks. All the other sins that Paul's going to go into, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slandering, hating God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Go look at the list. All of that. Where does it ultimately come from? And To read Romans 1, it comes from a lack of thankfulness. You know, I think about the various lessons that I, I want to provide for my children. Um, and certainly, one of those lessons is, you know, somebody does something nice for you, what do you, what do you say? Thank you. That's, that's what you do. Go tell them thank you. Um, that's a good thing to do. But, um, as I'm sure any of you with children know, I mean, sometimes you're just kind of holding on for dear life, right? I mean, you know, yesterday... I went to an outlet mall, and my youngest didn't have shoes on. We were in Mississippi. So we just went for it. Um, it's fine. He's okay. His socks aren't, but I mean, whatever. Um, I mean, sometimes you're just kind of surviving, right? You're doing your best. But, but you know, I'm not going to fight every single battle. I mean, you can't fight every battle with your kids. And, and so, if, you know, if a time slips through the cracks where somebody gives him a toy and they get so just enamored with the toy that they forget to say thank you, I mean, I, I'm not going to lose sleep over that. I mean, it's not good. I don't want that to happen. But, you know, such is life, right? We'll do our best to make sure that doesn't happen again. But, yeah, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Because, because deep down, surely they're thankful. Right? Surely they know that they wouldn't have had this had the person not gone and gotten it for them. I mean, surely they know. Surely they're thankful, right? I mean, they didn't say it, but, but yeah, they're thankful. I mean, think about these lepers. I mean, surely they felt some sense of gratitude. Like, I mean, I don't believe for a moment that these guys never thought about that guy, Jesus, who they encountered that day. People would ask, how did you get well? Oh, that guy, Jesus, did it. Yeah, good guy, Jesus. We like that guy. I mean, but it, there's an acknowledgement, fine. But the Scripture teaches that gratitude or a lack of gratitude is a really big deal. It's much bigger than, than I, we might give it credit for. Because what it, what it fails to appreciate, a lack of gratitude, is that every single thing we have is grace. Every single thing we have is grace. I think I mentioned this up here before, but, but Paul, one of my favorite verses in, is Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 where he says, what do you have that you did not receive? Everything you have is grace. 
problem is, though, that universally the condition of the human heart apart from grace fails to, to realize that. That every single thing we have, we are not entitled to. I want to I walk really softly on this topic, okay? So I hope you'll hear me well. You know, as we think about this concept of, of rights, human rights, we have rights as human beings. I think that, that's something Scripture affirms. But it is so important that for us as Christians to keep in mind that, that our rights are derived from our Creator. And our Creator is not some least common denominator generic God that we can all agree on. Our Creator's name is Jesus, and He is the one who has given us and made us with with value and and, and dignity and integrity. And the reason that we have rights is because by His grace, we've been given them. We're not simply entitled. Because without that, it's very, very easy, without being reminded that, that our rights, that our value, that our dignity is derived dignity, then it's going to be very easy for us to fall into some sense of entitlement, to fail to appreciate that every single thing that you have is grace, is a gift from our good and gracious maker. And we need to be rescued from that. And we find that in our passage here today. Verse 19, Jesus makes the statement to the leper who returned, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, I am no Greek scholar. Do not hear me pretending to be a Greek scholar. But, but the ESV translation could actually lead us to, to miss something here. Because all of these men have been made well. All of these men have been physically healed by Jesus. But what Jesus is saying in this verse to this man is something different. The text literally says, your faith has saved you. This man has not only been physically cleansed from leprosy, this man has experienced spiritual cleansing as well. This man has experienced salvation. Something has happened to him internally as well as externally. And just to make sure we're on the same page here, this man didn't experience salvation because he went back to Jesus and said, thank you. That is not the basis of anyone's salvation. Gratitude. This man experienced salvation because God did a work within him. And he praised him and he worshipped Jesus at his feet. That's not the basis, but it is the response of a person who has experienced salvation. It's the response of someone who has experienced the grace and mercy of Jesus. It's the response of someone who, who, who realizes that the good gifts that you have, the blessings that you have, come from somewhere. They come from the hand of a God who loves to give them out to his people and and to all people. But our passage highlights something that's interesting. It highlights the fact that this man is a Samaritan. And unlike the parable of the, the good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, this, that's a story, that's a parable. This actually happened. And what's funny is, I mean, you know, you look at the New Testament, And it just, like, you would think, to read the New Testament, if you didn't know kind of the whole context or whatever, that these Samaritans are just like, 
salt of the earth people. Like, they're just great. I mean, they're, they help you out if you get stranded and beat up, and they, they forgive you, and they're just, they're just really good people, the Samaritans. That's not really how the original audience would have heard that. Um, the name has been associated with kindness, but, but as far as the Jewish people were concerned, I mean, these people were terrible. They hated them. Because their origins were highly questionable. Jewish ancestors who had intermarried with the Assyrians. They were essentially, both ethnically and religiously, half-breeds. They don't belong. So not only was, was this man a leper, he was a Samaritan leper. And that's, a one, that's one rung below. I mean, at least we're not that, right? You see the nine. Yeah, they're outsiders, but, but this guy's a different kind of outsider. He's got multiple strikes against him. But he sees something that the rest of these men don't. And what he sees, Jesus makes clear in verse 18. Take a look at verse 18. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Okay, this man has just come, he's bowed down, he's worshipped at the feet of Jesus, and then Jesus asked the question, will no one else return and praise God? Do you see what Jesus just did there? What this man realizes is that this guy, Jesus, is God. Jesus says it. He is the object of true worship, that this man is the priest he's looking for. This man is the place of worship. He is the temple. And so going to to a different priest for approval and then going home to Samaria, that doesn't look the same anymore because he's met Jesus. He's met God. And in seeing Jesus, he longs for something better, something greater than just a good life. He sees what his heart is truly longing for, and the trajectory of his life changes. See, this passage, this passage is not simply about saying thank you. This passage has to do with where do we find life. What we see in this passage is that true gratitude comes from a heart that has found true and meaningful life in a great Savior, and not simply in in the good gifts that the Savior provides. Does our Savior give us good gifts? Absolutely. Should we in any way devalue these gifts? Absolutely not. But the question Jesus asks, where are the nine? Where's everybody else? Is begging us to reflect upon our lives. To what extent is Jesus simply a means to our getting what our heart is truly after, that good life, whatever version of it you have, as opposed to Jesus being the end? He is the end. He is the goal. He is the telos. He is what our heart is truly after. It may sound like a subtle difference there, but it means a world of difference. The question that Jesus asks is an opportunity for us to reflect. What's really going on in our... What am I really after? What am I spending my life pursuing? But it's more than that. I'll close with this. The question is an invitation as well. 
It's an invitation to see who this God Jesus really is. It's a question that invites us. Where are the nine? Implying, I'd like for them to come as well. To come to him and to find a Savior. To find a Savior who loves the broken and the unclean, who through his perfect life, atoning death, reconciles outsiders like them and like us so that we can be in a right relationship with God, so that we can be welcomed in, so that we can experience what this man experiences and find real meaningful life there. In another passage dealing with a Samaritan, Jesus will make the statement that the Father is seeking true worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth, with Jesus himself being the embodiment of that truth. Jesus calls us to come to him, to find life in him, to be healed by him. Whether you've heard that message a million times, or you've never heard it, or you've never accepted it, the call is the same. It's an invitation. It's an invitation for us to come, to be healed, to find life. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, I pray that we, we would be a thankful people, Father, but, but that thankfulness would, would overflow from hearts that you have changed, that you have drawn unto yourself, that, that, that we have seen all that you've accomplished on our behalf, our salvation and, and the gifts that we receive on a daily basis. And, and Lord, we would, we would praise you and we would honor you. And Father, to the extent that we don't do that, help us. Help make us a thankful people. Would that overflow in our lives and how we live? We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.